Letter number nine of Letters Written During a Short Residence in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letters Written During a Short Residence in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark by Mary Wollstonecraft. Letter nine. I have already informed you that there are only two noblemen who have estates of any magnitude in Norway. One of these has a house near Tonsberg, at which he has not resided for some years, having been at court or on embassies. He is now the Danish ambassador in London. The house is pleasantly situated, and the grounds about it fine but their neglected appearance plainly tells that there is nobody at home. A stupid kind of sadness to my eye always reigns in a huge habitation where only servants live to put cases on the furniture and open the windows. I enter as I would into the tomb of the Capulets to look at the family pictures here that frown in armour or smile in ermine. The mildew respects not the lordly robe, and the worm riots unchecked on the cheek of beauty. There was nothing in the architecture of the building, or the form of the furniture, to detain me from the avenue where the aged pines stretched along majestically. Time had given a greyish cast to their ever-green foliage, and they stood like sires of the forest, sheltered on all sides by rising progeny. I had not ever seen so many oaks together in Norway as in these woods, nor such large aspens as here were agitated by the breeze, rendering the wind audible, nay, musical, for melody seemed on the wing around me. How different! was the fresh odour that reanimated me in the avenue from the damp chillness of the apartments. And as little did the gloomy thoughtfulness, excited by the dusty hangings and worm-eaten pictures, resemble the reveries inspired by the soothing melancholy of their shade. In the winter, these august pines towering above the snow must relieve the eye beyond measure and give life to the white waste. The continual recurrence of pine and fir groves in the day sometimes wearies the sight, but in the evening nothing can be more picturesque, or, more properly speaking, better calculated to produce poetical images. Passing through them, I have been struck with a mystic kind of reverence, and I did, as it were, homage to their venerable shadows. Not nymphs, but philosophers, seemed to inhabit them, ever musing. I could scarcely conceive that they were without some consciousness of existence, without a calm enjoyment of the pleasure they diffused. How often do my feelings produce ideas that remind me of the origin of many poetical fictions, in solitude, 
the imagined bodies forth its conceptions unrestrained and stops enraptured to adore the beings of its own creation these are moments of bliss and the memory recalls them with delight but i have almost forgotten the matters of fact i meant to relate respecting the counts they have the presentation of the livings on their estates appoint the judges and different civil officers the crown reserving to itself the privilege of sanctioning them but though they appoint they cannot dismiss their tenants also occupy their farms for life and are obliged to obey any summons to work on the part he reserves for himself but they are paid for their labour in short i have seldom heard of any nobleman so innoxious observing that the gardens round the count's estate were better cultivated than any i had before seen i was led to reflect on the advantages which naturally accrue from the federal tenures the tenants of the count are obliged to work at a stated price in his grounds and garden and the instruction which they imperceptibly receive from the head gardener tends to render them useful and makes them in the common course of things better husbandmen and gardeners on their own little farms thus the great who alone travel in this period of society for the observation of manners and customs made by sailors is very confined bring home improvement to promote their own comfort which is gradually spread abroad amongst the people till they are stimulated to think for themselves the bishops have not large revenues and the priests are appointed by the king before they come to them to be ordained there is commonly some little farm annexed to the parsonage and the inhabitants subscribe voluntarily three times a year in addition to the church fees for the support of the clergyman the church lands were seized when lutheranism was introduced the desire of obtaining them being probably the real stimulus of reformation the tithes which are never required in kind are divided into three parts one to the king another to the incumbent and the third to repair the dilapidations of the parsonage they do not amount to much and the stipend allowed to the different civil officers is also too small scarcely deserving to be termed an independence that of the custom-house officers is not sufficient to procure the necessaries of life no wonder then if necessity leads them to knavery much public virtue cannot be expected till every employment putting perquisites out of the question has a salary sufficient to reward industry while none are so great as to permit the possessor to remain idle it is this want of proportion between profit and labour which debases men producing the sycophantic appellations of patron and client and that pernicious esprit du corps proverbially vicious 
the farmers are hospitable as well as independent offering once to pay for some coffee i drank when taking shelter from the rain i was asked rather angrily if a little coffee was worth paying for they smoke and drink drams but not so much as formerly drunkenness often the attendant disgrace of hospitality will here as well as everywhere else give place to gallantry and refinement of manners but the change will not be suddenly produced the people of every class are constant in their attendance at church they are fond of dancing and the sunday evenings in norway as in catholic countries are spent in exercises which exhilarate the spirits without vitiating the heart the rest of labour ought to be gay and the gladness i have felt in france on a sunday or decadi which i caught from the faces around me was a sentiment more truly religious than all the stupid silliness which the streets of london ever inspired where the sabbath is so decorously observed i recollect in the country parts of england the church wardens used to go out during the service to see if they could catch any luckless wight playing at bowls or skittles yet what could be more harmless it would even i think be a great advantage to the english if feats of activity i do not include boxing matches were encouraged on a sunday as it might stop the progress of methodism and of that fanatical spirit which appears to be gaining ground i was surprised when i visited yorkshire on my way to sweden to find that sullen narrowness of thinking had made such a progress since i was an inhabitant of the country i could hardly have supposed that sixteen or seventeen years could have produced such an alteration for the worse in the morals of a place yes i say morals for observance of forms and avoiding of practices indifferent in themselves often supply the place of that regular attention to duties which are so natural that they seldom are vauntingly exercised though they are worth all the precepts of the law and the prophets besides many of these deluded people with the best meaning actually lose their reason and become miserable the dread of damnation throwing them into a state which merits the term and still more in running after their preachers expecting to promote their salvation they disregard their welfare in this world and neglect the interest and comfort of their families so that in proportion as they attain a reputation for piety they become idle aristocracy and fanaticism seem equally to be gaining ground in england particularly in the place i have mentioned i saw very little of either in norway the people are regular in their attendance on public worship but religion does not interfere with their employments as the farmers cut away the wood they clear the ground every year therefore the country is becoming fitter to support the inhabitants half a century ago the dutch i am told only paid for the cutting down of the wood 
and the farmers were glad to get rid of it without giving themselves any trouble. At present they form a just estimate of its value. Nay, I was surprised to find even firewood so dear when it appears to be in such plenty. The destruction or gradual reduction of their forests will probably ameliorate the climate, and their manners will naturally improve in the same ratio as industry requires ingenuity. It is very fortunate that men are a long time but just above the brute creation, or the greater part of the earth would never have been rendered habitable, because it is the patient labour of men who are only seeking for a subsistence which produces whatever embellishes existence, affording leisure for the cultivation of the arts and sciences that lift man so far above his first state. I never, my friend, thought so deeply of the advantages obtained by human industry as since I have been in Norway. The world requires, I see, the hand of man to perfect it, and as this task naturally unfolds the faculties he exercises, it is physically impossible that he should have remained in Rousseau's golden age of stupidity. And considering the question of human happiness, where, oh where does it reside? Has it taken up its abode with unconscious ignorance, or with the high-wrought mind? Is it the offspring of thoughtless animal spirits, or the dye of fancy continually flitting round the unexpected pleasure? The increasing population of the earth must necessarily tend to its improvement, as the means of existence are multiplied by invention. You have probably made similar reflections in America, where the face of the country, I suppose, resembles the wilds of Norway. I am delighted with the romantic views I daily contemplate, animated by the purest air, and I am interested by the simplicity of manners which reigns around me. Still nothing so soon wearies out the feelings as unmarked simplicity. I am therefore half convinced that I could not live very comfortably exiled from the countries where mankind are so much further advanced in knowledge, imperfect as it is and unsatisfactory to the thinking mind. Even now I begin to long to hear what you are doing in England and France. My thoughts fly from this wilderness to the polished circles of the world, still recollecting its vices and follies. I bury myself in the woods, but find it necessary to emerge again, that I may not lose sight of the wisdom and virtue which exalts my nature. What a long time it requires to know ourselves, and yet almost every one has more of this knowledge than he is willing to own, even to himself. I cannot immediately determine whether I ought to rejoice at having turned over in this solitude a new page in the history of my own heart, though I may venture 
to assure you that a further acquaintance with mankind only tends to increase my respect for your judgment and esteem for your character. Farewell. End of Letter 9